Um, I didn't realize like how weird it would be to talk, to preach to a room full of masked, like people looking like they were like gonna, <laughs> people looking like they were gonna go straight out of here and might, like collectively rob a bank together. Um, but yeah, it, it was a little weird, right? And so, um, and so it's nice to, it's nice to see, you know, you, um, you know, all of you. So th thanks, uh, thanks so much for being here and, um, you know, thanks for, bearing with us over the past 14 months as we've tried to, you know, survive and get through this. It's been, it's been a weird time. Um, if you were here with us last week, I, I was sharing with David. I don't mind telling y'all. I felt a little weird last week. Did y'all feel, was it weird last week? It felt weird to me. Um, just because, like, we hadn't done this in 14 months, there were still, like, this, like, mostly masked, like, not, not totally sure how to, how to be, how to, how to interact with other people. Do we shake hands? Do we hug? Are we all, like, radioactive? Like, what do we, what do we do? And it was, it, it was sort of, I, and I realized, like, you, you got to get the first one out of your system. And so we did. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that you, you came back. So, um, and uh, that, that's, you know, that, that became sort of the major question of, like, will anybody be here today? Because last week it was like, well, we'll see. And then this week it's like, well, this is really, whoever shows up today, like, these, like, I'm, you know, you're here, you know, like, and you're, you know, we're doing this, like, re regardless of what the past 14 months dealt us. We are, we are here and we are doing this. So that's what we're gonna do. So thanks so much for being here. If you have a Bible, <laughs> this is exciting. I'm, I'm just <laughs> starting a sermon in front of human beings. Um, yeah, it's getting, it's getting all Pentecostal up here and we haven't even started like, oh, oh, I see. Preaching a sermon. Um, if you have a Bible, I wanna invite, I don't know what happened to my voice just now. If you have a Bible. <laughs> I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. This is going to be an interesting... See, we're not filming today. Um, so, right, yes. And uh, so, so there's, no, there's, there's going to be no documented, like, this could go... This, this could be the best service ever. This could be a total train wreck. No one will ever know, except for the people who are in this room. Say, say what? We can just call on this... You say something, and we'll be like, yes! You want to do that? I mean, I will. Yeah? <laughs> It's, um, I, I'm, I'm very easily distracted, so I, 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 I was telling Chad before, this is not part of the service. I, it's funny, I, I always say this is not part of the service, but at, once I say it, it becomes part of the service. Um, but I, uh, before the pandemic started, I, uh, like, I was doing some guest preaching at, at another church just every once in a while, like on a Wednesday night, that was, that is a lot more naturally expressive than our church. And so it's, and, and I, I really love our church. I, I love sort of the laid back feel of it, but it was really interesting to me to go into a space that I'm very much not used to and be like a total stranger to most of the people in the room and to say something that I feel like this is something that maybe we'll, we'll sit with a couple people like, and they'll be able to like think about it for a second. And I say it and somebody will say, say more preacher. <laughs> and I'll, I will, I was planning on it. I've got 25 minutes left. <laughs> I have much more to say, so. Um, Anyway, yeah, I, I, I have a friend who, who also does this, and he, he told me one time he was, he was preaching at a, at a service, and they, like, the, the response just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said at one point there was a guy in the front row, and the guy just goes, what are you doing to me now? And, <laughs> and I thought, man, that's exciting. <laughs> I... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, you, don't, you, you guys see what happens when the train goes by. Just imagine, just imagine me with people just like talking the whole time, being like, yes, and what else? So anyway, um, so anyway, yeah, Genesis chapter one, that's what we're doing today. So um, 
towards the beginning of what became the last 14 months of our lives, I started, I, I got really, the first thing I started really missing um, was live music. And so I decided I, I would start watching lots and lots of like live music, like just any sort of like concert I could find on any streaming platform I could. And so I watched a lot, like I, I, just, I just missed being like in, in a place where like people were playing music. It's just a thing I've always really responded to. And so I've seen, now I've seen lots of bands that like some people are like no longer, have been not, not bands for like decades, but I've seen them now because I've watched so many bands it, it live in concert and, and some of them were better than others and some of them like I don't know how you coped I don't know like what you binge watched but for me it was it was live concert films and um, and one of the things that I really responded to was one that that came out just this past year which was called American Utopia by David Byrne I don't know if anybody watched that I'm getting a couple of nods back here okay you're like yes um, I don't know how many David Byrne fans are hey all right yeah. so David thanks man are you really or are you just messing with me are you no, just yeah, like I'm okay David Byrne, uh, for those who don't know, David Byrne was the lead singer of Talking Heads, the, the band mostly from the 70s and 80s. Um, and so David Byrne did this production. It, it was staged on Broadway, obviously, before the pandemic started. And how it was staged was super interesting because what, basically what it was was it was a bunch of musicians who were carrying their own instruments. Um, so it was like almost like quasi-marching band style. And the, there, it was a Broadway show, but there was no backdrop. There was no set. It was basically just like curtains. And then everyone in the band was wearing the, an identical gray and white suit. And that was the whole show. And so David Byrne would do his David Byrne thing, which is interesting because if you've ever watched like other Talking Heads like films, you, like, you know like there's a, there's a big production to it. There's like a, he wears a big suit, he sings to a lamp for some reason. And like it's, he's, he's, he's kind of a weird guy. And so he does this thing and there's very little going on on the stage. And towards the end of the show, he, he says, and this is, I don't think there's a way to spoil a concert, but like basically one of the things he says to the, to the room is, he said, I always wanted to know what would happen if we took out everything that we didn't need. And we decided we would strip out everything that, like all of the extra stuff, all the bells and whistles, and we only left the things that we actually needed. And what we would have was us, meaning like the musicians, and you, meaning the audience. And he said, and I wanted to do a show that was completely stripped down and see what that would feel like. And I, I, when he said that, like, I, I, I felt like a, a certain type of kinship with David Byrne, which is not a thing I felt a lot in my life. Um, I don't know that anybody has felt a certain amount of kinship with David Byrne in their life. Um, because, again, super weird guy. But in this moment, I thought, like, oh, okay. Like, that's why I'm responding to this so much. Because this is, like, how he, what he's describing as the show, this has, in a lot of ways been our basic approach to church and like I thought like why am I why am I getting so into this when there's just so little going on and I realized like oh I understand now because this is the thing I've been sort of like at before we started the church or before before the before uh, the pandemic this is how we were sort of approaching church it was like how how much can we take away and still call it a church because like we live in an era of like big bells and whistles of like smoke machines and light shows and um, streaming services which I very like soon after that had to start doing um, <laughs> I, I, I joke with people that I became the most the world's most low-budget televangelist like in history over the past 14 months 
But, um, but you know, and, and so, in, in fact, I remember when we first started the church, we were in uh, the hotel over at the Marriott uh, by the Speedway. And what was interesting was we were, we were not the only church meeting in that space. The, they had this massive conference area, and there were actually two churches. There was us and, and another one meeting in the exact same location. And the other church that was meeting, they were the same basic size as us. They, they were, I, I think they were doing two services. I, I think their attendance was roughly similar to ours. But they had a massive production level. Like they, they had a truck that they would back up to the to the uh, to the backside of the hotel, and they would wheel out like giant carts of like sound and lighting and video equipment, and they would have like giant screens, and they would just do all sorts of like big production types of things for like 15 to 20 people. And so it was it was this interesting sort of thing. Like we we really want like this the the whole aesthetic was we want to be a big deal. And we want to seem like a big deal, and so we're going to make all the things look bigger. And I, I kept thinking, like, I, I would watch them do that while I was literally every single thing that our church owned fit in the back of my car. Um, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it, it was it was an SUV, but it was still it was my car, and like it was like three plastic tubs and like this stool, and pretty much that was what our church owned. And I remember like unloading the back of my car, watching these guys look like they're unloading for like an Aerosmith concert and like thinking like, Are, is this Aerosmith? Was that the most relevant thing I could come up with? <laughs> yeah, it was. So, um, so I, and I remember watching this and thinking like that, it seems like a, a lot of effort to do a thing that you don't need, like, it, it feels like we're, like, and I mean, I'm sure they're, they're doing the best they could and like doing whatever it is that they needed to do that they, they felt was correct for them. But I kept thinking like, man, I'm so glad we don't have to do that. I'm so glad our, our situation is a lot more just sort of like, what if, again, what if we just took everything out? And what if the whole thing was, what about connection and intimacy and, smallness like like what if we actually prioritize sort of the atmosphere uh like what if we don't what if we actively do not need to to like build this whole thing up and make it make it this giant like mega church type of feel kind of thing to it and um and every once in a while i and and i remember when we moved into the, into this building and brian clark um, very helpfully offered like hey maybe we should install a sound system my first reaction was no we do not install a sound system <laughs> like we are we are <laughs> We are prehistoric in this place, and we will not have a. But I mean, he was absolutely right because, like, I mean, my voice is loud enough for like the parking lot, um, to the chagrin of every elementary school teacher I ever had. But um, but I would. I but I did understand like, oh, most musicians would really appreciate like a sound system, and it, it makes it a little easier um, for people who aren't me. Um, but I mean, but I still like. I'm obviously like fine not using the sound system, but. Um, and, and I just, like, this whole thing of, like, yeah, there are things we don't necessarily need. And what if we just, again, like the David Byrne sort of thing, what if we just got rid of those things? And what if we made that what this was? And I realized, like, oh, this is, like, he's describing the thing that I'm responding to, the thing that I've always wanted to create. And, um, and every once in a while, here's, here's what I'm getting at. Every once in a while, I find it useful to do this, not just with space, but I find it useful to do this with my beliefs, with, like, to, to, to kind of strip everything away and ask, okay, if let, let's say, let's assume that every single thing I've ever thought, believed, um, held like with deep conviction, let's at least assume for a second that it's possible that I'm either wrong or that I've built this thing up a little bit more than it needs to be built up. What's left? And that's a scary thing. We call this deconstruction, and we've talked a lot about this. And we've talked, uh, we, I've, over the, the past seven or so years, one of the things that, that we've done that 
people have either really responded to or decided like they hate us and they're gonna write blog posts about us is like the amount of time I'll talk about like doubt and deconstruction and like asking questions like questions about like the things that we were handed. So maybe you grew up in a system and you were handed all these ideas, like these re this religious ideology, and you were you were given a certain like a map basically, and you were using the map to get to a certain place, and you realize at a certain point like oh this map isn't really going to the place where I thought it would. And you sort of were handed like this, um, I realize I'm mixing my metaphors, but let's say, let's say you have like an apartment and you have like, and you started loading a bunch of like just tons and tons of different furniture in the apartment and the apartment became so like cluttered and packed up that you couldn't even really live there anymore. And you decided like, okay, I'm gonna take all the furniture out of the apartment and I'm gonna just like look at the empty space and say like, okay, let's, let's really consider the question, what goes back into the apartment? What, 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 do we, what do we need? What's essential? What are the things that we actually do work with and need and use? And what are the things that maybe either we can deprioritize or we can kind of get rid of altogether because it came from a system that was a little damaged and, and broken? So, so every once in a while, I find it useful to do this with my beliefs. And um, it, if my cultural identity or if my theological outlook was completely stripped down to its bare bones, what would I have left is sort of the question. And again, we, talk, we call this deconstruction. And so in this series, we're going we're gonna to try this. And we're, we're going we're gonna to take all of the assumptions and the expectations that we've absorbed, and we're going to strip them down to their bare bones. And we're going to ask, who have we been told that we are? Who, like, again, depending on, and I realize that we all have different backgrounds. Maybe we grew up in, like, no religion at all. Maybe we grew up with, like, very specific types of religion where we've been sort of trying to unspool some of the, those things. Um, I know that a lot of the people who are at our church are here specifically because they began on a journey of deconstruction, and the, the church that they were at really did not respond very well to that. Um, I, I, I'm here because I was ejected from a church that really did not respond well to those types of things. So, um, that, and, and so maybe, maybe you have a similar kind of story. And so uh, we are, for a little while, we're gonna ask questions about like, okay, what are the things that can come out? And, and like, what are the things that we've been told that we are? And then who are we instead? And so in a way, not only is this, so we're, we're starting from a place of deconstruction, but I'm also gonna try, and this is not easy to do, but I'm, I'm, what I'm gonna try to do is I'm, we're gonna try and do a little bit of reconstruction. So we're not just gonna like tear everything down and just sort of let, be like, okay, now, now there's nothing left. The apartment is empty. The, what the series is going to do is, and because one of the things that I really struggled with coming out of the last 14 months was when we go back into the building, what are we going to talk about? You know, like, how do I, like, because I've been doing, like, lectionary sermons and, like, we did a couple of different series. But for, in a lot of ways, I, I started wondering, like, what, do I really have much else left to say now that, again, I've been like acting as a low budget televangelist for the last 14 months. And, and so I realized like, oh, the, the, thing, the thing that perhaps needs to be revisited is what does it look like to, to deconstruct and then ask, okay, well, what, what, what goes back in? But the thing is, I realize we're all on our own kind of journey and we're all sort of trying to figure this out and we're all at different stages in that journey. And so I'm gonna just say right up front, this series is gonna reflect my own personal journey and my own particular interpretations of the scriptures, which of course, like every sermon I've ever preached is a reflection of my own personal interpretation of the scriptures. I realize like lots of, lots of preachers are like, this is just the word of God and I just have, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a vessel and everything I say is just like, is, is the gospel truth because I'm reading it the way it's supposed to be. Like, no, everybody's interpreting and everybody has their own sort of way of dealing with this. And, um, and, and to pretend otherwise is misleading. And so I'm, I'm gonna say like, this is about reconstruction, but also just to be perfectly 
um, transparent here, this is about my reconstruction. And so if my reconstruction can inform the way we talk about these kinds of things as a church, then that's great. And if not, thank you for being here to witness my eight-week journal of reconstruction. So like that's, that's what we're going to do. And if you've been around for a while, if you've been around for as long as some of you have, I realize um, some of this is going to seem like review because it's very difficult to have deconstructed and reconstructed and not talked about some of this stuff before. So some of this is going to be like, oh, I, I, like I know, like Genesis 1, I know what Rob is about to get, get to. Like, yeah, probably you do. But, um, but the thing is, like, yeah, because this, this has been the journey I've been on for a while, and this is the journey I will continue to be on. But um, what, what I sort of, as I sort of tried to plot out, like, okay, what are the things? What are the things that go back in? I kind of came up with eight things. That, that I thought like, okay, these things go back in the apartment. No matter what, the, these are the pieces of furniture that I can't do without. Otherwise, the whole thing just doesn't work for me. So, um, so that's, that's what this series is gonna be. And so maybe you've got different things that go into the apartment. I would love to hear your own um, between services, honestly. I, I'd love to hear where your journey has led you and what, what ideas and thoughts and new, new um, realizations have, have, been, um, have occurred to you specifically over the last 14 months. Maybe you've learned some stuff. That, um, that, that perhaps I, I could really benefit from. But, um, but anyway, so that's, that's what this whole series is gonna be. I realize like, that's a long introduction to what this series is, but I wanted to just be really clear about like, where, what it is we're doing and where it is we're going over the next eight weeks. And I say the next eight weeks is kind of, it, it's a little bit loose because like, we're gonna have a couple guest preachers in between and that are not part of this series. But um, so it's you know, the next eight parts of my preaching. Um, so we're gonna start by talking about what it means to be human and what it means to live in a world that is full of other human beings. Because I, I think, I don't know about you, but the last year has really tested my optimism about humanity. Um, I, I'm, again, just to be perfectly frank about it, like I, I will, I, I tend to just naturally have a pretty high view of humanity. Like I tend to think human beings have a lot of value, but then I see a video of a woman screaming at somebody at Trader Joe's because of a mask regulation, and I think like, oh no, humanity is broken. <laughs> and I think like there, there is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I see people throwing absolute temper tantrums over things that do not matter. And I think, okay, like may, may, maybe I've been a little bit too high-minded about like how human beings really are. Um, and, and so like, the, like I said, like the last year has been, um, has, has really kind of put my faith in humanity to the test. Like, I realize like a lot of people will say like, the last year has put my faith in God to the test. Like, the last year has put my faith in humanity to the test, quite frankly. Um, so so what, what, we're, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna sort of look at like, okay, what are the narratives about human beings that perhaps we've absorbed? And are, are those things useful or is there a, like an alternate identity that perhaps we can adopt? And so we'll start with the ancient world. So in the ancient world, there were lots of religious systems that would have insisted that people were just inherently bad. That like the, the, the basic belief was human beings are by nature evil, bad, flawed, broken, evil, like dark, what, what, whatever, what, whatever synonym for those types of things you wanna use, that's what they would have used. And a lot of these came out of their religious dialogue. In fact, at the same, around the same time that the book of Genesis was written, there was a very popular um, there was creation epic and one of the things that, that came out of the, um, 
the, the Babylonian Empire. And so one of like how this creation epic basically went, and I've talked about this before, but I'll just sort of give you a basic rundown, is the belief was that before humanity existed, there was a war between the gods. And that the like there were these two different armies of gods. One was led by a god named Tiamat, who was the dominant god at the time, and the other side was led by a god named Marduk. And Tiamat and Marduk went to war. And the belief was that Tiamat was like a, a, a weak, evil god and that Marduk was a strong, like, um, vengeful, and, and strength at this time was a virtue. So strong, virtuous god. And so Marduk and Tiamat go to war and their factions go to war. And they ha each have different sets of gods that follow them and go to war with them. And eventually Marduk overcomes Tiamat and kills her. And one of the things that the followers of Marduk, that the other gods that are, that are with Marduk do, um, is they slaughter all of Tiamat's followers and they like break, I realize this is very graphic, but like they, they basically, they dismember them and that the, the blood of, um, basically that the body of Tiamat like fell to the ground and created what we now know as the earth and that the blood of Tiamat's followers fell to the ground and from that blood was, was born humans. And so the belief was like, yeah, you're like, oh, totally makes sense. Like that, that <laughs> like, yeah, that, so that was the, that, that was the, the, the dominant belief was this is where human beings have come from. So if you come from a system where human beings come from the blood of, of a slain evil God, then what does that mean about human beings? Are you with me? So the idea here is human beings are inherently created bad. In fact, they weren't even created on purpose. They were created by accident after like, a, like this giant slaughter. So human beings then, in the, in the worldview of the people who absorbed this story, was that the only purpose that human beings can possibly serve is to entertain and to serve the gods. And if we don't entertain and serve the gods, then we are not fulfilling our function and that we are useless and evil in the sight of the gods and that we deserve to be punished. So that was the basic view of humanity when the, when the book of Genesis came to exist. So the belief, again, the belief was that human beings were created by accident from the blood of an inferior God. And in the ancient Near East, this was common. Like religious systems, like there were, this, this, this was the dominant one, but this was not the only one. There were lots of religious systems that insisted that human beings were bad and that our only purpose was to keep the gods entertained and happy. So this sounds barbaric and backwards to us, but think about this. How many of us, really, how many of us came out of religious traditions that basically subscribe to the same idea? Like, not that narrative, but basically we, we have this idea and we, when we talk about human beings and we use words like fallen and depraved to describe the na nature of humanity. How, ma how many of us came out of a system that we were, like, we have lots and lots of songs about, like, human beings. In fact, I should have brought some. There, there are these ancient hymns that have, like, these lyrics about, like, how terrible, how, how much we are awful. How, like, we are, I, I forget, like, there's, there's one that says, we are but worms on the, uh, like, on the shoe of, of, the, of the gods or something like that. Like, it really, like, really terrible kinds of, um, th kinds of language. And there's, there's lots of, um, I mean, not, not to denigrate the great, Amazing Grace, but like to save a wretch like me, right? Like that's that's an interesting choice of words, is it not? And I realize like there's there's a history to that song. The guy who wrote that song wasn't feeling great about himself because of his own personal choices leading up to this point, which is fine. Um, 
but like this is, this is language that has resonated with people for lots and lots of time. This idea that human beings are bad and human beings are just naturally bad. And that, that we are, in, in fact, there, there's a whole, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase total depravity. And th this, is the, this is the idea that th in Christian theology that human beings have no redeeming value outside of like the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That without Jesus, that we are all but like evil, dark, like worms on the, <laughs> on the boo heel of God or something like that. Like really dark kinds of, like a very low view of humanity. So the question for us becomes, is this really how we are invited to think about humanity? Is humanity inherently bad? Or is there another identity that perhaps we're invited to adopt? And is it possible that those, that type of rhetoric is actually kind of harmful? And when we take all the things out of the apartment and we start looking at like, okay, what furniture goes back in here? One of the questions becomes like, how do we think about human beings? How do we think about our fellow, like how do we think about ourselves as human beings? How do we think about other human beings? How do we think about what it means to be human? So, which leads us to Genesis chapter one. So in Genesis chapter one, and again, remember this comes like out of the world in which the Marduk Tiamat story is the dominant narrative. The, like this story became popular. This story became resident for people during the time that everyone believed that the Marduk Tiamat story was the dominant narrative. So, take, so imagine having grown up listened, listening to that story and then hearing this story. So Genesis 1, it, it, Genesis 1 is this giant creation poem in which everything that's created is described as good, which is already subversive if you believe that everything that was created came from the, the, the slain carcasses of evil gods. Like for one single God to declare that all things that were created is good is already deeply subversive. But then you get into this in verse uh, 26 where it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, not by accident, not out of the blood of our enemies, in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. Now that's interesting because in the ancient world, the gods rule over all these things and human beings just exist to serve the gods. But here, the language is, let us make human beings in our image and those human beings will then rule over. And rule over here is not like um, exploit and destroy. Rule over is interact with these things as if they are good. The whole poem so far has proclaimed that all these things are good. So human beings are then told, now, now you go and interact with all of these created things as if you believe that they're good. So there's that. And then, um, did you just amen me? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I love, you're welcome back anytime, Chad. All right. <laughs> Um, see, now I've lost my place. Um, <laughs> it, it, it didn't even take the train. I made, uh, I made a huge mistake. So then, uh, then in verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them, which is, again, different than the curse of created by accident. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Again, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So there's a blessing that comes with creation. This isn't an accident. This isn't a result of a, like, a blood-soaked war. This is intentional. This is celebratory. This is blessed. So um, God gives human beings responsibility over the rest of creation. God has declared creation good. Um, in fact, if you have a creative impulse... I would argue that those creative impulses bear within them a divine spark because from the very beginning it was interact with the whole created order as if it was good. 
go and go and interact with this thing as if there's still more to do. If you've ever had a creative thought, that is a, a result of this image, like God has created uh, human beings in God's own image. Th there's a Latin term for this, it's called imago Dei. Imago Dei literally means image of God. And so what we're told here is not human beings were made by accident and that we're all just sort of like these fallen, cursed, broken beings. It is, no, human beings are created with the imago Dei within them, with a divine spark, with the image of God buried deep within them. And then again, it uses this, this word blessed. In the beginning of the story, being a human being isn't a bad thing. Being a human being is a good thing. We tend to start the story, see what happens later on in the story in Genesis 3 is the wrong fruit gets eaten and there's a breakdown in this whole thing. And then there becomes sort of like this, um, this broken aspect to humanity. But that's not where the story starts. The story doesn't begin with, and God created human beings and human beings were terrible and they needed someone to come and save them. The story doesn't begin in that place. The story begins with goodness and blessing. The story begins with Imago Dei. It's this, it, it is, again, being human isn't a bad thing. In Genesis 1 and 2, the goal isn't to apologize for being human. Have you ever heard anybody use the phrase, well, I'm just human? You know, well, I don't know what to do. I'm only human. Um, it, as if we're apologizing for that. The goal is not to apologize for being human. The goal is to be fully human. The, the blessing here isn't like being human is a crutch or a curse. Being human is the thing that makes us imago Dei. Being human is a gift. So we've been told that being human is, is a bad thing, but who we are instead at, is that we are human and that is a good thing. So, and this has all sorts of implications. It has implications about how we see ourselves. Um, one of the things that we talk about here a lot is mental health and self-care. Um, self-compassion, being able to forgive ourselves when we mess up. Um, understanding that we move through the world carrying a divine spark means that we should have compassion for ourselves. You were created with a divine spark. You, you are a good thing. You, to, to be human is a gift, and that's, that's a good thing. And so maybe we can give ourselves a break every once in a while. Maybe we don't have to apologize for being human. Maybe we can say like, oh, the goal here is to become more and more human. Like, so I, in fact, I would argue that when, when we show the world the worst of ourselves, we're not showing them our humanity. We're showing them like we're, we're, we're becoming less human and not just being human. So how I think about myself, how I talk about myself is directly connected to what I believe about humanity. So taking care of yourself. In fact, later on, and we'll talk about this more as we get into the series, but um, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So as a, in a part of this is the assumption that we have a certain amount of self-love, that there is a certain amount of goodness inherently that we carry with us, that you, just by virtue of the fact that you're human, means that you are good. Being human is a good thing. How I think about myself is directly connected to what I believe about humanity. This also, by the way, has lots and lots of implications about how we see other people because other people are bearers of the same divine spark that I am. So to be fully human is to treat other people as if they are fully human as well. Jesus gets into this a lot in Matthew chapter 5. This is towards the beginning of what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So um, we'll just take a look at a couple of different things that Jesus says here and because what Jesus is doing is he's subverting a lot of the kind of conventional wisdom of his day. And he's saying, like, maybe, maybe the, the problem isn't that we're human. Maybe the problem is that we're not human enough. And so in, Genesis, or in Matthew chapter 5, let's just look at a couple examples. In Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, um, 
It says, you have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, which I think we would all agree like is a good thing. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a weird, in Aramaic, this is basically an onomatopoeia, which means it, it, like the idea of, of raka, is, it's not like a translated word, this is, it's a term of contempt. And it's, it's basically like literally the sound that you make before you spit on someone. And so it, it is, it is, so like raka here is like utter contempt. So, um, so it says, uh, anyone who says to a brother or sister raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell, which is incredibly like that, that those are, those are big words. In fact, we were, when I, when I was a kid, we weren't allowed to, to call each other a fool because we were like, the fear was like, once, once you've done that, you're too far gone. Once you've said that word. Um, but the thing is, the point isn't the, like the combination of words here. The point is, what in, in, in the Hebrew consciousness that Jesus is speaking from, a fool, if, if you grew up having been raised with the Proverbs, a fool is somebody who lacks like a basic amount of humanity. A fool is somebody who, who has disregarded their own humanity and who, who we can disregard their humanity. And so what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is basically using three different like, types of examples. Like anybody who, who bears anger in their heart, anybody who bears hatred in their heart towards somebody else, anyone who holds another person in contempt, anyone who says raka about another person, anyone who looks at another person and all they see are their mistakes and their flaws, like that person, and he says they're in danger of hell. And what Jesus is not saying here is like when they die, when, if you say that word, then when you die, you go straight to hell. What Je that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying here is, and this, this is quite often what's going on when Jesus uses this word. Um, when Jesus talks about hell, he's very rarely talking about a place you go when you die. When Jesus, a lot of times when Jesus talks about hell, including this place here, what he's saying is there is a reality that we are inviting into this world. And he's saying when you look at another person and you fail to see the Imago Dei, and you see, all you see is contempt and hatred, then you are bringing hell into this space. So what Jesus here is saying is, he, he's, again, he's subverting the conventional wisdom, which is like, yeah, we all agree that murder is bad. Like, we're all on that page. But what happens when you look at another person and you fail to see Imago Dei? He's saying it basically results in the same thing, which is we bring a little bit of hell into this world here. So he's saying, like, let's, let's ratchet up how we feel about other people. Let, let's, um, let, let's consider that how we think about other people isn't just like, like not murdering is literally the least you can do to a person that you feel like darkness towards. He's saying, what if instead we raise our own expectations of how we view other people and instead we decide like the person on the other side of that argument the person on the other side of that debate, the person who drives me absolutely insane every time I see them at work, that person is also a bearer of the Imago Dei. That person, like, that person is human, and that's also a good thing. So he, Jesus is subverting how we think about humanity in terms of like, how we engage with conflict. Take a look at it. There's another place in uh, verse 27 where he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which he's, uh, he's, he's basically just quoting from the Ten Commandments. He's saying, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Which by the way, if you ever encounter somebody who's like, I take the Bible literally all the time, like congratulations on having both of your eyes, sir. <laughs> so, 
uh, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than, to, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Here he uses it again. And then and he says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of you, your body, than for your whole body to go into hell. Which again, sounds very extreme, but again, think about how he's talking here. He's subverting the basic way that we think and talk about other people. He's saying, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, which we're all on board with. And then he goes one step further and he's saying, but what if the point isn't the act of adultery? What if the point is anytime you look at another person and you don't see a person, you see an object. Anytime, anytime, anytime you see a human being and that human being becomes something for your own enjoyment or entertainment and, and what happens is that person's humanity fades away she becomes a that and that and what happens then in Jesus is saying what, what you're doing in that situation what we are doing in that situation is we are bringing a little bit of hell into this reality so again he takes the conventional wisdom of his day and he's saying what if we're not thinking highly enough about what it means to be a human being then there's one more in verse uh, 43 in verse 43 he says you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So again, he's kind of confronting the basic conventional wisdom. And he's saying it's easy to be kind to people who are already kind and complimentary to you that takes no effort. That's not difficult. Like Jesus says, the, like there, there are places in, in, where Jesus refers to the way of following him. He says the way is narrow. I would argue that this is probably why. Because he's, he's getting at, like, there are these very, very difficult ways of interacting with humanity. And it's not always easy. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to show compassion to somebody who sees us as their enemy or who we see as our enemy. And then he says this very confusing, very frustrating thing where he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. This word perfect in Greek is, and this is a whole other sermon that we, sh we should probably get into at some point, but this word perfect is, in, in Greek is the word telos. Telos does not mean without flaw. Telos means whole. It means put together. It means who you were meant to be. So Jesus, that's why, it, like, it feels like a non sequitur, like love your enemies and be perfect. But what he's saying here is he's saying who you were meant to be is someone who never loses sight of the imago Dei in one another. So be that kind of person. Be who you were always created to be. Every single time Jesus cor corrects the conventional wisdom of his day, it is in the name of elevating our, our view of humanity. And this isn't to say that everybody's acting in good faith or that we're, or that we're always embodying the imago Dei all the time. Again, when you see a video of someone um, really like in, in a Trader Joe's or, or in a park or doing whatever it is that they're doing and you think like oh my gosh how in the world is this person still like interact like how is this person just like moving through the world right now um, it, it's not to say that everybody's like doing their best all the time or that everybody's like um, again acting in good faith what it simply means is before we make any other judgments or draw any other conclusions about another person the thing that we're called to do is remember that that person was created with a divine spark, that that person is a bearer of the Imago Dei. We remember that they were created just like we were, and that when that person was created, that God said, they are created in the image of God, and it is very good, simply because they are human. They don't, you don't have to do anything to earn your humanity. You are human simply because you are human. If, so if you've been sold a narrative that says you're no good, 
that's not the story we find in the scriptures. If you've been sold a story that says humanity is bad and we should apologize for our own humanity, that's not the story that we find in the scriptures. The story doesn't begin in that place. The story begins with Imago Dei and, and that who you are created is inherently good and you don't have to do anything to make it so. If we strip everything away, if we take all the furniture out of the apartment, if we take everything out and we ask, okay, well then what goes back in? What do we still have? What do I really believe about human beings? What do we find? To be human is a good thing. To honor the image of God in this world, we remember that we are bearers of the Imago Dei, and so is everyone else that you will ever meet. You will never lock eyes with someone who is not a bearer of the Imago Dei. So this is where my journey has taken me, to a place where it's, it's, this is not an easy thing to always um, internalize. I certainly have days where I doubt <laughs> these things, but at the end of it all, when I look at the empty apartment and I ask what furniture goes back in, this has to be one of them. Um, because what I find in the scriptures, what I find in the teachings of Jesus over and over and over again is, yeah, I know human beings can be very frustrating. I know other people can be incredibly difficult at, at certain times. But to be human is a good thing. It's a gift. It is, it, it is, it is a thing that is celebrated in Genesis 1. And when Jesus calls us to question the conventional wisdom of our, of our day, he doesn't lower our view of humanity, he raises it. So may we, be, may we remind ourselves that we are bearers of the Imago Dei, and may we remind ourselves that so is everybody else. May we carry this with us in our hearts, and may we remind ourselves of this in our most difficult moments as we move throughout our weeks. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this gift of the Imago Dei. We thank you that we are invited to internalize this, um, th this message of who you were created is a good thing. For those of us who struggle with self-compassion, with forgiving ourselves, with seeing ourselves as bearers of the image of God, may we internalize that, may we give ourselves a break, may we show ourselves compassion, and then may we offer that same compassion to everybody else. May we be patient with people who require a lot of patience May we be kind even when a situation pushes us to be unkind. May we find that the, the healthiest mode of existence is one in which we are reminded always that everyone else, that every other human being is a bearer of this divine spark of the image of God. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you all so much for being here. This has been so much fun. Um, just standing here and seeing your faces. It's been awesome. So um, sorry it took me a little long to get out of here. I had a lot in my system that I had to get out. And uh, so thanks, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week because we're going to keep doing this. Yeah. yeah. Grace and peace be with you. Awesome. Yeah. All right. <laughs>